Welcome to Behind the Curtain, where we go deep into the issues of the day and talk to people who know what's behind the smokescreen of what they want you to see and what's really going on. I'm Jackie Gusta. Today we have Dr. Alexis Temkin. She is the Environmental Working Group's toxicologist. Alexi works on a variety of projects related to the understanding of impacts of chemical exposure on human health. She completed her PhD in biomedical sciences at the Medical University of South Carolina, going all the way back to her BS in biological sciences from right here, Connecticut College in New London. Welcome, Lexi. Hi, thanks so much for having me. My pleasure to have you. So let's talk a little bit about these pesticides, these chemicals that are on our foods. Number one, how the heck do they get into our food? Sure, that's a great question. So um, we know that pesticide use, whether it's herbicides to kill weeds that are coming up on crops or insecticides that are used you know, to kill bugs and types of pests, are widely used in conventional agriculture in the U.S. Um, and due to that use of these different types of chemicals, you find often that there are residues left behind on fruits and vegetables, and then also some grains and other types of commodities that we eat in our diet. So you're saying pesticides. Uh, I had read something on the website that wrappers around hamburgers from McDonald's also contain carcinogens. Sure. So there's also another type or class of chemicals that can end up in our food. Um, we can think about this a little bit more um, as industrial type chemicals, not necessarily pesticides, but things that might be used in um, food packaging or food processing that can then leach into food. We also have, you know, certain chemicals that have been used in the U.S. and around the world in the 70s, 50s, you know, previously that have since been banned, but what are called legacy contaminants. So these are things that are very persistent in the environment. And although they're not produced anymore, we still find them lingering around and food can take these up from the soil or be contaminated in other ways. Wow. How far back does that go? Um, I think a lot of it probably started, you know, with the Industrial Revolution when we really started producing um, a lot more chemicals and industry was really ramping up. You know, a good example is the synthetic pesticide DDT that was used very heavily and then banned in 1970, but we can still detect it in um, meats and fruits and vegetables today. That's amazing. So something that was in the soil, the water, 100 years ago can still affect us. Yeah, I would definitely say, you know, within the last 50 years or so, for sure. So let's talk about what's going on today. Uh, let's talk about those dangerous chemicals. What are they and which foods are they in? Oh, well, we could spend a lot of time um, talking about that. And I think there are probably a few areas that we can focus on. Um, I try to think about, for instance, when we think about pesticides, there are a couple things that come to mind. One is the chemical chlorpyrifos, which is an insecticide that can be used on foods and is often detected in blood and urine samples when we look at exposure in the general population. And so chlorpyrifos is an example of a chemical that um, 
has been banned in other countries but is still used in the U.S., although there was um, supposed to be a ban of chlorpyrifos, but under this administration we've seen that um, ban really be removed. A reason why we would be concerned about chlorpyrifos is that its use and exposure to children has been associated with um, issues in neurodevelopment, such as reduced IQ and learning and behavior. So there's the famous pesticide glyphosate that's been in the news recently. Can you talk a little bit about the danger of that? Sure. So, so glyphosate is an herbicide, and it's the most widely applied herbicide um, in the U.S. and also in the world. And it's primarily used on um, GMO crops. So these are crops that have been you know, genetically modified to be resistant to glyphosate so they can kill off the weeds that are growing um, around them. But a less common use that people don't know about is its use as a pre-harvest desiccant. So glyphosate can be applied to crops um, like wheat and oats and different legumes that will actually kill the crop right before harvest. And then what you find is that you can detect glyphosate in sort of the end products that these foods might be used in. So EWG released a report looking at glyphosate in oat products. And the reason we were concerned about this is that in 2015, glyphosate was classified as a probable human carcinogen by the International Agency for Reviews on Carcinogens, IARC. And this is extremely important because we know that children can be more susceptible to the effects of carcinogens, and we were finding glyphosate in foods that children readily eat every day. So our kids are eating glyphosate on their Cheerios? We tested a variety of cereals, including Cheerios, and detected levels of glyphosate that we would consider not safe for consumption of children if they're eating this every day. So if kids are eating this regularly, which kids do, what are the long-term effects? So our EWG standard, which we set at 160 parts per billion, is based off of a one in a million cancer risk. So we would estimate or we would hypothesize that long-term exposure, you know, every day consistently over the course of a lifetime could increase cancer risk. There's some other studies currently going on with glyphosate looking at low-dose exposure and how it could impact microbiome, which can have effects on human health, and then also low-dose exposures that could impact liver toxicity. So there's still some unknowns in this area, um, but we do know that it's possible to grow, <coughs> excuse me, it's possible to grow oats without the use of glyphosate, and really people don't necessarily want to be having pesticides in their food. Mm. There's another chemical called atrazine that's a problem. So atrazine, um, like glyphosate, is also a weed killer. It's actually the second most widely applied weed killer in the U.S. just after glyphosate. Um, and atrazine is what we call an endocrine-disrupting chemical. So studies have shown that low doses of atrazine can impact the hormone system, and this can have health effects that are linked to reproductive development. For instance, we've seen in epidemiological studies of people consuming water with low doses of atrazine in it. They have an increased risk of low birth weight in the offspring or um, preterm birth. So while you might not detect atrazine in 
foods, it often can contaminate water sources. Mm. So we've got three villains over here. We've got glyphosate, chlorpyrifos, and atrazine in our food and water. So if I go and use my water bottle over and over and over, just, uh, you know, any bought in a machine or over-the-counter water bottle, they warn about BPAs in the bottle itself. Can you tell me why I have to be worried about that? So BPA, or bisphenol A, is another industrial chemical that's commonly used in plastics, but it's also used widely in the liners of canned foods. So we think that exposure to bisphenol A can actually primarily occur from food, and it's usually from contamination of canned foods. And what we know about bisphenol A is that Similar to atrazine, it's classified as an endocrine-disrupting chemical, and we know that it can activate estrogen signaling. And exposure to bisphenol A has been associated with um, reproductive outcomes, neurological outcomes, and then also more recently has been shown to impact metabolic health, so it can impact development of diseases like obesity and diabetes. Mm, So someone said to me, don't buy canned tomatoes. Don't. Is that the same thing that you're talking about? Is that the danger of buying perhaps, you know, those canned tomatoes or, say, even a healthy soup that I buy in the store? It's possible. So we do know that in some studies um, that have surveyed a variety of canned foods, um, you can find detectable levels of BPA in those foods. And If you're looking to reduce your exposure to BPA, you might be able to cut out some canned foods and see a decrease in exposure to BPA. There's also an interesting area of research with regards to BPA where you might be seeing things like BPA-free cans and things like that. Um, Often what might be happening is that the BPA that traditionally would have been used in the manufacturing of those cans can actually be replaced with a very similar compound called BPS. which may also have the same health effects associated with it. So this is pretty much a doomsday scenario. There's chemicals on our food, pesticides in our food, even the wrappings of a McDonald's hamburger and uh, the lining of my healthy soup can hurt me. But, you know, there are naysayers out there that reject your findings. Uh, In particular, there is no GMO media who has said that you're just blowing things up, that really it's a conspiracy that you're pushing, and that it's the dose of these chemicals that makes the poison, that there are only traces of these chemicals, and you're saying that everyone's going to die from it. So I think the field of endocrine disruption and studying endocrine disrupting chemicals has really flipped this dose makes the poison um, scenario really flipped it on its head. What we're finding with chemicals um, like BPA and other endocrine-disrupting chemicals is that they follow what's called a non-monotonic dose response. So what we actually find is that low doses of these chemicals can have different adverse health effects as high doses of these chemicals, and they can have more profound health effects at the low doses. All right, but 
you know, we were saying that glyphosate is uh, a big danger to us. But the person who invented it, John E. Franz, won the National Medal of Technology Award, and he's in the National Inventors Hall of Fame. And what he's saying, what the website No GMO is saying, is that uh, glyphosate is safer to humans and bees than almost every other organic or synthetic pesticide used before its invention, that these very low doses are not worth not using it. It does much more good than harm. So with the use of glyphosate, particularly as a pre-harvest desiccant, we know that there are ways to manufacture and produce oats without without its use, and that Truthfully, at the end of the day, people simply don't want this herbicide or don't want these pesticides in their foods, and there's a way to produce these foods without that. You know, glyphosate has been used very heavily over the last several years, and we can detect this increase in exposure in humans' urine samples, but there really isn't good monitoring of glyphosate levels in food, which is one of the reasons why EWG wanted to do this study to start to characterize what this exposure might look like, because truly we're doing a low-dose chronic exposure on humans, and we don't necessarily know the health effects. And there's also been a lot more data recently showing the potential carcinogenic effects of glyphosate and other health effects like endocrine disruption or liver toxicity. But I thought that both the FDA and the EPA were taking care of these things, that they were protecting us. So the level that EPA has set as a safe level for glyphosate doesn't consider the carcinogenic effects of glyphosate. So the California scientists that have listed cali- have listed glyphosate on the Prop 65 list of chemicals known to cause cancer have set a much, much lower value for a safe level of glyphosate exposure. And then what that level of glyphosate exposure indicates is a 1 in 100,000 risk of developing cancer for an adult. So what EWG did to develop our standard for children's health, since we know that children are more susceptible to the effects of carcinogens, we added a 10x safety factor, which is actually suggested by the Food Quality Protection Act to protect against the vulnerability of children and their susceptibility to cancer. And we also calculated a one in one million cancer risk, which is commonly used for drinking water contaminants and we felt would be appropriate for a food contaminant as well. Mm. So, all right. So let me ask you about some of my favorite foods and can I eat them? Number one, fast food. So, Fast food, besides its, um, you know, has also been linked to a lot of health effects due to its nutritional composition, um, which I'm less familiar with. There's been a couple of really interesting studies looking at fast food diet consumption. Um, so there was a paper that came out by a researcher at GW who showed that more people that ate fast food had higher concentrations of chemicals called phthalates, which are plasticizers and have been linked to reproductive health effects. We also know that some fast food wrappers can have harmful chemicals in them called perfluorinated chemicals, which have been linked to similarly a variety of health effects. Hmm. Okay. What about my go-to late at night microwave popcorn? 
microwavable popcorn is actually interesting. Um, the, as I was mentioning, the perfluorinated chemicals that can be found in fast food wrappers, so these chemicals are used because they actually prevent the grease and things like that from soaking up into the um, papers or wrappers that they're used in. People found that individuals who consumed a lot of microwavable popcorn actually had higher exposure to these perfluorinated chemicals because they were used in that sort of protective coating, that oil and grease repellent coating that you would find in the popcorn bags. So you've dashed both my hopes and the hopes of every college student in America. Uh, okay. A little more healthy, and it is advertised as very healthy, is um, I love to go out for seafood. Can I eat that? One of the concerns with eating seafood and certain types of fish is exposure to mercury that can be found in certain types of fish. EWG actually has um, a seafood calculator which can help you identify seafood that has low levels of mercury but high levels of omega-3s, which are one of the really important components of seafood and health benefits of eating seafood. So that way you can still get the benefits from eating seafood, but don't have to risk the harmful effects of mercury exposure, especially okay. if you're a pregnant woman. So, so what can we eat? Well, there's definitely a lot of options about there of what to eat. You know, fresh fruits and vegetables are, of course, a very important component to a healthy diet. One of the things that EWG has done for a long time is create what we call the Clean 15 and the Dirty Dozen list. So we know that eating organic, um, which has been shown to reduce your pesticide exposure, is not really feasible um, for every single fruit and vegetable out there for every family. So what we've created is a way to assess the fruits and vegetables that have the most pesticide contamination and the fruits and vegetables that have the least contamination. And that way, when you're shopping, you can use the Dirty Dozen list to identify the types of fruits and vegetables that you should be eating organic, and the Clean 15 that you can feel better about buying conventional. So is there anything else that we should look out for? Say that, and I hope people do, go to the Environmental Working Group's website and look at the lists, the Dirty Dozen of those foods we should not eat, and the Clean 15s, ones that are relatively safe. Is there any other advice you could give us about eating safely? I think some great advice um, that was actually also just supported by the um, Academy of Pediatrics, especially when we're talking about children's health, is to really try and reduce the use of plastics and food packaging, eating fresh fruits and vegetables and non-packaged and non-processed foods is a great way to help reduce the chemical exposure in your diet. Mm, so it's going to take a little bit more work. All right. Well, Lexi, thank you so much for being a guest today on Behind the Curtain. And I'd like everybody to know that you can find this information out by going to the Environmental Working Group's website online. So thanks, Lexi. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been Behind the Curtain, a conversation about the issues that affect our lives. Behind the Curtain is produced under the auspices of Western Connecticut State University. Come back and listen. There's a new show at the start and the middle of every month. I'm Jackie Guzda. Talk to you soon.